Ambrose. Yeah? Saw a bunch of nonsense out there. What was going through your head out there last week? I was breaking my back for you, Coach, because of my love for the game. Liar! Jack. What? Who are you supposed to pass the ball to? The Italians. Right. Alex, when? When I come in contact with the ball. The instant you come in contact with the ball. That's our strategy. It's one of the many plays we've worked out. Ladies and gentlemen, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Monster Mangus here, recording episode 17, Be Happy, featuring Edward Apoku. Special episode here tonight with our special guest, an alumni of our alma mater, Millbrook, and a UVA graduate. We are going to be talking shop about his journey, becoming a professional athlete, and an important movement to him, Be Happy. Before we do that, and we kick off, let's go ahead and meet the rest of the Stew crew. Coming to us live from the West Coast, Harry Douglas, how we doing, kid? We're doing well. It's good to be back, fellas. Uh, Edward, thanks so much for joining on, and uh, looking forward to, to hearing more about your story, man. Yeah, absolutely. Next up on the mic, coming to us from Richmond, Virginia, Tommy Lasagna, how we doing? We are good. Let's, uh, let's get it going tonight. I'm excited. Let's do it. Last up, can't leave him out. Coming to us from Tennessee. Haven't seen him or heard of from him in a while. Mr. <laughs> Mr. Jernigan, how we doing? I've been MIA. I've been playing a little golf, though. So, you know, oh, trying, okay. to, tr- trying to get my game right. That's all. Yeah. Very Glad nice. to be back. All right. Well, let's go ahead and cue the music. I think Joe Flacco is actually a very elite quarterback. I'm supposed to be the franchise player, and we're in here talking about practice. You got my vote. Number one man, greatest quarterback of all time, hands down, Tom Brady. All right. Well, gentlemen, before we go ahead and dive into things, uh, we'll quickly go over our agenda. Most importantly, we've got our interview tonight with our special guest. We're going to talk a little bit of banner, and then we'll wrap some uh, some of it up with some buzzer beaters. Um, but first, just to get things warmed up and get the uh, wheels moving, I wanted to talk about something that has been highlighted uh, quite a lot in the uh, in the news recently, uh, sports-wise. After their Game 7 loss last night, uh, Joel Embiid was seen, or videoed, I should say, uh, in his girlfriend's arms crying um, after the loss. And there's been a lot of debate whether that's the signs of a champion or, or if that's signs of weakness. You know, he he followed that up by saying basically fuck the process, which is the first time anyone's ever heard that. Um, <laughs> so w- want to hear what you guys have to say and uh, any thoughts and opinions on that. Uh, first off and foremost, I think it's completely acceptable to be crying uh, at the highest level like that in a game seven to be the one guarding Kawhi Leonard and your 10 foot wingspan in his face and have him still hit that last bucket to, to clinch the Western Conference Finals. Uh, that's heartbreaking, and uh, the tears are genuine, and everybody knows that Embiid is, you know, he wears his heart on his sleeve, whether for good or for worse, and it, it, I feel bad for the guy. Like, it clearly, you know, it, it hit him hard, it hit him home, and uh, I don't know what this means for the 76ers now. Um, it For me, it all just depends on how hot she is. If if she's hot, then... <laughs> It's it's totally fine to be crying in her arms if she's, she's not. She's quite beautiful. You better keep that shit behind closed doors. All right, then he gets a pass. I feel for you, <laughs> Harry. What do you what do you have to say? Yeah, I, I think I think it's a, a good sign, man. The guy the guy cares a lot about winning, and uh, 
he's had his his entire story has been crazy too in terms of injury and you know constantly you know backing this whole trust the process trust the process um and i think you know he thought that they had a, a team that you know could contend for championships this year um and, and clearly that's just not the case uh at least yet uh, i'm sure they'll you know be back next year and, and probably you know sign a couple players uh to help you know fill out that team a little bit but yeah i, I don't see any problem with it you know the guy the guy loves winning and and uh so yeah that's the sign of a champion yeah i mean i i totally agree um you know in in the uh conversation of winners i think this is a good way to transition into tonight's segment uh, which is the main hunk of things, our interview. Uh, we're obviously truly blessed, all four of us, to have you know not only an alumni of my high school alma mater and Harrison's, uh, but more importantly, we got a young man who's coming from Ghana uh, who has journeyed here and landed in the United States playing as a winger for the Columbus Crew. Um, so, you know, this is this is a gentleman who helped the Millbrook Mustangs win three NEPSAC Classic C uh, state titles, uh, was a Western New England prep school all-select honor, in uh, all four years of high school ventured on to UVA uh, where he made his debut on August 29th 2015 went on to appear in 18 matches uh, one of three Cavaliers to do so so with that being said I'd like to welcome tonight's special guest Eddie Uh, welcome my friend and thank you for joining us of course thank you for having me Um, it's um, it's a pleasure to be talking to you guys and I know how passionate you guys are about on the podcast and um i love like talking to um people about my story and just sharing my journey and um um, if you can take inspiration out of it great but uh, i just i just like to you know talk to people about it and tell that um everyone has their unique story and how you know it pertains to their life so um, i'm excited i'm excited we're excited to hear about it very excited. And by the way, was that introduction was that introduction all right? Was that all correct? Yeah, that was good. Yeah, that was good. Thank you. Yeah. All right, good. I feel better about myself. Well, um like I said, you know, we wanted to obviously shoot the breeze just to get things kind of uh warmed up. So, you know, one of the things that we talk about a lot and as you very well know, um is kind of how big soccer is here versus other parts of the world. And so as an avid football player, you know, since youth We'd love to hear kind of your thoughts about, you know, how to get people on the bandwagon um, and rallied yeah. behind the MLS and, and soccer here in the States uh, and kind of yeah. what it'll take. Uh, absolutely. I mean, um, soccer has been getting like bigger and bigger, I think, each and every year. I mean, compared to when I first came to the U.S. Um, at the age of 13 um, to now, um, it's definitely grew um, a lot. Um, and if you compare soccer and, or football, you, I would say before I became too Americanized, um, <laughs> it was, um, you know, football in, um, in Western, um, part of, um, Western Africa is huge. That's all we've all known, you know, and, you know, people walk miles and miles, like, you know, to go find TV or radio station to listen to soccer or watch it. Um, whenever they can get a chance so it's all that every kid I've known to and I can tell you that every kid that you probably meet especially in Ghana wants to be a professional soccer player um, but the chances of it actually happening is just it's just very very small you know you can have the dream but you know the opportunity of you actually getting to 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 be on the path is very small and um, 
to compare to the U.S., you know, sports here is it's big, and there's a variety of it. You got football, basketball, lacrosse, squash, you know, hockey. You got a whole lot sort of um, sports. So um, it competes with one another, another compared to other countries where you know you got like one or two sports, which is like the biggest sports there, you know. Um, but I think I think it's growing. I think um, to, over the years, um, over the next couple of years, it's gonna grow, and uh, we got the World Cup, you know. Which the U.S. will be hosting, I believe, the twenty twenty four or something like that, twenty twenty two. Yeah, so um, I think I think by then it's it's gonna it's gonna grow tremendously. So um, I'm quite excited to see. Yeah. They'll be playing a lot of those major games uh, in some of these major cities. I, I believe probably Atlanta. You know, the Mercedes yeah. Benz will mm-hmm. be one of them, yeah. and Nashville, um, baby. Yeah, Nashville. Nashville yeah. So I think that's super cool, and I think it'll definitely. I think the the World Cup will be huge turning point. Yeah, for the states. I totally agree. So what is? What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, I I think you know Eddie's right. Like it it is gaining a lot of steam, at least in the MLS level, and you see how much support the national team gets uh, these days. And and them missing the World Cup last go around um, really put you know U.S. men's you know national soccer or football. you know, in, in a tough spot. Um, and so I think a lot of people are, are having high expectations next time around to, you know, at the very least qualify for, for the World Cup. But, uh, you know, I, I think for, for sure it's, it's gaining a lot of popularity. You see how much popularity the Premier League is now getting uh, in America. I mean, I think just about everyone who's a fan of sports has some sort of team, you know, that they support who, who's in the Premier League or in La Liga or whatever the case might be. So uh, certainly, you know, European football uh, is gaining popularity here, and I think that'll only help in terms of, you know, producing the next generation of soccer players in America and things like that. So, um, but Eddie, one thing I wanted to ask you about, you know, you mentioned, uh, you know, how popular soccer is in, in Ghana and in West Africa, and and I know, uh, you know, you were able to go through the Right to Dream program, right? And that was kind of your your platform to yeah. to getting to the states. Um, could you tell us a, like, yeah. a little bit about that program and and how it was helpful for you in getting more exposure? Absolutely. Um, I mean, the Right to Dream program is—they've done—they've done amazing job to you know to the country of Ghana and even like most uh, close by um, um, countries such as Ivory Coast, Nigeria, and um, Togo and Benin. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they they came to Right to Dream, I believe, uh, nineteen ninety-seven, which was um, I was like about one years old, um, so I didn't know much about it, but. Yeah. Um, how it started when they 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 actually announced it to the, on the radio that you know the Right to Dream program was doing tryouts you know all over um, Ghana to scout for players and um, I believe um, uh, my coach told them that they were going to come to um, Konongo or Dumasi which is like where I come from the mm-hmm. my 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 town and it's a it's a really poor town you know um, we have one dirt street um, that like every so- single uh, kid will meet there around like three o'clock to to probably like seven thirty at night you know uh, to play soccer and wow. everyone like a bunch of people gather around the, the the dirt field and you know some some are betting um um behind the game and some are just like enjoying and mm-hmm. you know you have like all sort of people who actually come there like you know you have like grandmas like you know grandpas like you know young kids and yeah. and uh, it, it was fun so um when they announced it, it was actually like funny because when they announced it, I didn't think I was gonna go uh, because my grandmother has just 
passed away and there was a funeral that on the, on that Saturday when they said they were coming to my town. So I was actually at my grandma's funeral and the cemetery is like right behind where the field is. Mm-hmm. So after we buried my, we sent my grandmother off, um, I kind of just went there to just check it out and just see how it was going. I mean, there was so many like talented kids in my in my town that, you know, I didn't think that was the only talent there. Um, mm-hmm. So I went there to check it out and then one kid who's like now my best, one of my best friends, so he gave me all his stuff to play with. And so I tried out with not even my clothes or my shoes or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, it was about, I believe like almost like 600 kids. It was a lot. And they wow. said, first they said, yeah. They, first they said they were going to pick up, um, they were going to pick 16. But I think that was also like just to save, to give people hope. Yeah. I mean, to go from 600 and picking 16, it's just, what are the odds that you get picked, you know? Right. Um, so they picked 16 and they said they were going to look at three characteristics, which was um, soccer, um, your character, and then education. Mm-hmm. I knew that I was a half-decent soccer player and character-wise, I was a good kid. But I mm-hmm. definitely did not have the school side of me because I had never been to school, you know, and I couldn't even speak English. So that was um, what I never really thought they were going to pick me because I never counted yeah. myself in. So they picked the 16. Unfortunately, I was part of the 16. And then they said they were going to, like, shrink it down to eight. And then from the eight, they came to four. And then from four, they were like, we're going to pick one and then we'll come back and pick the rest later. And then they just picked me. I, and I... Up to now, whenever I say the story to people, I just say, you know, it's also a blessing and, you know, a good luck for my, my grandmother. So, um, Absolutely. I was no the kidding. one who, who, who got chosen. So. One out of and, 600 um, believe, and you weren't, yeah. even, you weren't even using your own gear. <laughs> no. That's incredible. So they did talk to me after afterwards. They had a translator who was like translating things to me and... You know, the story, guess guess what, which is like, you know, we, they went to my, my mom and mm-hmm. I wasn't living with my mom. I left my mom when I was six, you know. Um, my my father died when I was about three years old and I um, apparently he didn't claim me as his, his son because I was um, too weak to be his son. So um, I never I never grew up with a, with a dad. Um, I'm the last one in my family and um, um, it was, it hurt. But I think in that moment, it kind of like, not growing up and having a daddy just made me like stronger. Mm-hmm. So I lived with my soccer coach at the age of six um, until then. And um, I left my mom to go live with my soccer coach because one time I came back from practice and our house has been like, you know, torn down and due to the rain um, because it wasn't like such a strong like building. Um, mm-hmm. So there was no place for me to sleep and there was no um, room. So I had to go stay with my coach um, who offered me a place to stay. And, you know, the the place I was staying to was 16 kids in one room. And, Goodness. You know, it was it was tough. But, Whoa. you know, so every every night, you know, you have to, like, rush to come back. You have to go to bed early because if you get there early, you get a piece of mat to sleep on. But then if you don't, then you're screwed. <laughs> then you sleep on the, fro- on the floor, bare floor. But, again, it was better than, you know, staying... Uh, a house which has no roof, you know, right. and um, and that was that was the best that you know that was available. But uh, so every kid would compete to come to bed early. You know, you see people going to bed like six o'clock, you know, p six p.m. and it's like it's just it's not like likely that a kid in Ghana will go to bed that early. Um, 
Um, so they went to my mom to ask for permission to take me to Right to Dream for another tryout because I think they do like two tryouts. They do one at your village and then once they pick you, you go to Right to Dream to do another tryout, which is the final tryout. They scout all over Ghana and all over West Africa as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they pick the top 16 kids who are, um, um, who are qualified to be there. So they went to my mom and they asked for permission. And my mom goes, and this was word for word. She goes, um, you guys should take him. You don't need permission from him. Keep him there until, I don't know, he's old enough to take care of me. And I was like, that hurt. It was, it hurt. But, you know, at that moment, I knew that it was, you know, she had no choice. You know, she had no choice but, you know, to sacrifice for me to to, to go and make something good for myself. So I went right. to Red Dream and... Um, I got chosen there and one of the 16 kids. So it was quite a journey, you know, getting to right to dream. And um, it wasn't it wasn't easy. But um, for some reason, I made it. That's incredible. I mean, she definitely knew that it was a unique opportunity, right? For you that (laughs) that not many people would get. I mean, that Mm -hmm. right there, I believe, is most likely movie worthy. I mean, that's (laughs) I mean, no, truly. I mean, you know, I, I, I think that's that's truly inspiring stuff. Um, I think a lot of us complain about petty, you know, BS on, on a daily basis, but then in the grand scheme of things, um, you know, so, so in terms of right to dream, um, this opportunity, you know, presented itself. Um, let's, let's fast forward a little bit to kind of our connection. Um, you know, Millbrook, you know, our alma mater, uh, how you got there and, and kind of how that, ignited your career uh so to say mm-hmm. into the next level of collegiate soccer um and, and we'll go from there yeah absolutely so you know um i got the i think i was a right to dream when i got the call and um they they called me to the office and they said you know maybrook school um a school in um um in new york has um has asked us for for a right to dream kid but we are looking at um other kids as well as you and we think you guys are the profile to go there. And there had been already Baki Bauer, who was uh, mm-hmm. a right to dream player. Yep. So he set, set up the standard for me, you know, to be able to open the opportunity to have more right to dream kids. So they asked me if I would love to like go to the U.S. and play soccer and go to school as well. But it was more of like, you know, you're going for school. You know, it wasn't like much about soccer. And I had like always been wanted to be a professional soccer player. That's all I knew. I went to school. I started learning English at the age of 11, you know. So education was something very new to me. But with soccer, that's all I have known. I have I played that. That It was an escape from me, you know, to get out of my town, to turn it into, into having a family at the age of 13 or probably even earlier than that, you know. Um, so I, ta- I spoke to my mom, and my mom asked you know, are you going to play soccer too? Because she knew that I, you know, I love soccer and that's all, that's all I wanted to do. And when I was a kid, um, you, she will, she will like will offer to even buy me a food and I'll probably ask to get a soccer ball or something. Um, um, so I got the opportunity to go to Maybrook, um, which, um, one of the, the best four years in my life. Um, it was the first year it was, it was hard for me. You know, it was, it was very tough adjusting to the, to the culture and mm. to the kids because you know some of the kids are maybe very privileged kids and you know um they it's, it's just a eye-opening for you with um some of the uh upbringing and you know where they live or things like that and it's 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 not quite easy to just fall into that kind of like lifestyle and um but it was good it was good i i got to the point where i felt like 
you know um I could be learning from them. I could be learning, you know, some of their way of living, which is like, you know, taking stuff from them as well as like, you know, also telling, like trying to like exchange something with them, which is about being, um, appreciating what you have and, you know, like trying to like open their eyes a little bit that the life, the kind of lifestyle they, they live is not, that is not what everyone else in the world, like, you know, lifestyle. So I think one of the, one of the main story for me is like, I think the first day, you know, class and it was a global myth. And then they asked us about, um, introducing ourselves. So I went and I was like, I'm Eddie Opoku and you know, I'm from Ghana, West Africa. And then one of my best, he's my best friend now. So he gets up and he's like, Oh my God, you're from Africa. Like, is it like, you know, how do you guys go to school or travel or go to the market and stuff like that? And so I went along with the joke and I said, oh, yeah, we ride elephants. And, I have a <laughs> <laughs> and then I said, I have a, I actually have a pet cheetah who, you know, um, I train with and I, that's why I'm really fast on the soccer field. <laughs> he genuinely believed that. And he was like, oh, my God, do you have like pictures of it? And so I went along and I was like, oh, yeah, you know, we couldn't really afford like cameras and stuff like that. So we can't have, you know, pictures. Right. We didn't have, you know, pictures, but it was funny. You know, he's one of my best friends now, and you know, he actually went to Ghana with me, which you know helped him a lot. He was he was thrilled to go, and he learned so much. So, um, you know, Maybrook, um, I think it was like I didn't even commit to college until my senior year, actually, because I took my um, the SATs, which I really struggled a lot the first time mm-hmm. I took it, and. You know, it was a point where I was almost like, you know what, maybe I should give up and go to a Division three school or a Division two school. And um, the lovely family that I met, which they are my host family, and I've been with them for about seven years, Christina Lang, who lives like, you know, half a mile from Maybrook. Um, so Robert Lang was like my classmate, and he invited me to his house. And um, since then, I was able to, like, they took me home. They took me as part of their family. They've cared for me so much. And, you know, I called her mom, and they called me they, like they, I'm on their own. So she got me a one on one tutor, um, and I improved so much from the, from the last score that I got. And since then, um, all the, most of the Division One schools, like top Division One schools, all showed interest in me. I mean, they were quite interested before, but they wasn't sure if I was going to get an SATs right or something like that. So uh, I was able to pull through, and I um, I committed to Virginia, and um, it, I visited, and it was amazing. Uh, Terry Boss, who was the assistant coach, um, recruited me, and I felt really like close to him. He, I felt like a, as a father figure, and I felt that that was a place for me to go. And um, I spent amazing like three years there, and um, where I enjoy every single one moment of it, and I still miss it. And I go, I go back to visit as as, as much as I can. But um, but I loved it there. But um, I think the end of my third year at Virginia, um, I had the. MLS showing interest that I could leave school early to sign, mm-hmm. which my scholarship will still stay. Um, whenever I, I want to like continue school, or even if I want to do online classes, um, so I decided with my family that I think that's like the best step for me is to to take the next level and um, make my dream come true of being a soccer professional soccer player. So, um, so it was it was quite a journey, but um, but I couldn't have done it without Maybrook, without my family as well, and and without UVA. So. Um, so, so I have I have a couple of questions for you about UVA. Yeah. One, uh, did you celebrate the basketball championship? Oh, 
yes, I did. I did a lot. I think it was like one week, the whole week I won uh, Virginia shirt the whole week. I didn't like take it off. And everyone, and you know, they played um, Urban, uh, Urban University yeah. in, mm-hmm. um, um, I think, uh, Final Four. Elite Four? Yep. Final Four. So, I mean, Birmingham is closer there. So I have the Virginia thing uh, behind my car, and dangerous. every time I drive, people people just stop and just like the, <laughs> the way they look at me, it was it was dangerous. But some guys on the team who lives in Birmingham too wasn't a big fan of me wearing the Virginia shirts. So uh, so so I really I really took a joy right out of it. So that's yeah. that's dangerous because territory. my bunch of my friends. Yeah, a bunch of my friends are on the team. So we actually had a game in um, Louisville when they played the I think their final um, I think final eight eight. Yep. Um, so I was able to like see some of my friends who were on a team and stuff like that. So nice. it was it was fun. It was fun. Yeah. And then obviously playing you know ACC soccer, uh, you're you're playing with some of the best in the country, and uh, one of which is Jack Harrison, um, yeah. who now is a winger for Leeds United on yeah. loan from Man City. Uh, yeah. Talk to us a little bit about that dynamic and what it was like playing with some of these guys. Yeah, he Jack is like um, he's a really close friend of mine. Um, you know, we both pre- uh, played at prep school together. And he was a Berkshire boy, well. right? Yeah, he was a Berkshire boy. So we played against each other. Uh, I knew him um, very, very well personally. Um, very nice kid, um, and um, we both went to the uh, All American games together as well. Uh, played against each other, um, um, but. Uh, being in college and playing against him was tough. You know, the ACC have some of the top players, and you know, every single game is it's 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 tough. And you know, you have to really really work 150, um, you know, percent to to win each game. Um, and everyone is a top quality player. Um, so it was it was tough, but it was it's all fun. You know, I mean, as a soccer player, as a professional athlete, you want to play the tough games, and you want to play the games that you know pushes you to to be the best of yourself and right so it was fun for me and if you can thrive under pressure and then then you're not you can be a professional athlete and you got to learn how to how to be there and for me it's been my whole life which is like you know um, even you know making it out of like 600 kids and i think playing accs uh, against you know um those teams is it's not it's it can't be that bad you know um so uh i've been i've been i was able to like you know um do very well at Virginia, um, where you know I play with some amazing players, and um, they all helped me to mature and grow as a player. And um, and um, I was able to take the next level. So, did I see that you finished your career with sixteen goals there? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, mm-hmm. very nice. So, I mean, nice. I I I think the first year, which was like very hot year for me, I struggled with like two sports any on both sides, and it was the decision where I had to make whether to play through the whole year. Uh, or have surgery and sit out my first year and I talked to my family and I said so I never actually practiced once in my first year with the team I actually just played all games and um, wow. it wasn't it wasn't easy you know some of the some of the guys were not you know pleased but again the guys who started started and who wanted me to like you know they they thought that you know I could be able to help the team and stuff like that um they were all very supportive um but it's just every team you know you go and you know the people who are not playing they want to obviously play and if you're not training then you shouldn't be playing so um but I was able to like play all 18 games and three and I had surgery right after the end of the season so um it wasn't it wasn't easy easy year for me but um um, I was able to like uh, got it out. So, um, yeah. Well, I mean, 
I uh, I was going to mention that my sister uh, also was a Berkshire Bear. Um, always yeah. despised them. She uh, she spoke <laughs> very highly of Jack Harrison, and yeah, you know, I, I had an opportunity when I was visiting her to see him play a couple times. Um, so to to know that you know, obviously you were yeah. playing up to par with with that level. Mm-hmm. Um, you know yeah. that physical level it was it is impressive mm-hmm. um, yeah it's really cool to have seen you excel um, and and obviously all the way up till the point where you were drafted by, by Columbus crew so yeah. um, talk to us a talk to us a little bit about that and and you know how exciting that was for you and kind of the level of play that you're now uh, up against in the MLS yeah. um it's um you know I mean like I said you know you can't you know, to pick a kid, you know, I think when the decision came whether, you know, I was, um, I had the opportunity to go to the, to the league, you know, it was like a kid who, you know, all you've wanted for Christmas was, let's say, a bicycle, right? And <laughs> I think, you know, two days before Christmas, you like, you know that they got your bicycle and it's behind the, the door. <laughs> and all you want is just Christmas to come just so you can open the door. So... I think, you know, when I talked to my family about it, you know, it was more, it wasn't, it wasn't about the money that you're going to make, you know, I, could, I couldn't care less, you know, about, you know, whether you're going to make this money or you're going to make this, how much, even though, you know, it, it's something that you have to look into it. But for me, it was more like, oh my God, I've all, all I've wanted is just to, to be in this position, you know, and, um, and before, I think the, the, my sophomore year in college, I trained with like a, bu- a bunch of MLS team. I trained with Seattle. Um, and when I went there, actually, they saw my locker next to Clendency. And, you know, oh. he comes in the locker room and he introduced himself to me. He's like, hey, I'm Clint. And I'm like, oh, I think I know who you are. You know, I have a poster of you in my room, you know. So it was, it was all like, oh, my God, this is happening, you know. And I trained with... Um, with Columbus as well, um, as well as DC United, um, Amazing. and a few other teams. Um, so I was War a bit Eagles. familiar with. Um, <laughs> I was a bit familiar with some of the teams. Um, Columbus was, you know, a place where they have a, a few Ghanaians, and it's been it's been a place where a bunch of the Ghanaian players play. So it was uh, it was a dream for me to to get there, and I, you know, I wanted I wanted to go there, and I wanted to, you know, they had Greg Berhalter, which is a who is amazing coach and great at developing young kids, and he has amazing stuff. And so I think during the draft day, you know, I'm sitting down there, and I'm like. You know what team am I gonna go to? And you know, I don't even care about the team. I just I just want you know wants to get want to get drafted because honestly, it really doesn't matter what round you go to or where you go to. It's just about going to the right system and going there first day and put your head down and work really hard. And um, you know, I was thankful to go to a place where I was familiar with before um, with the guys and with the coaching staff as well. Um, and I was able to learn a lot. You know, I think the first day, you know, I was more like playing nervous and uh, you know, you're playing with someone like um, um, Higuain or Pedro Santos. Mm-hmm. You're playing with Zardes, you know, who you've watched in the national team, you know, um, and you're like, oh, my God, this is this is crazy. This you know? is happening, yeah. But, <laughs> yeah, but and then Harrison Afro, which is like, it's funny because I actually was a ball boy for when Harrison Afro played for Ghana, national team, you know, and... I was like right next to him and playing <laughs> alongside him, which is like, oh my god, this is crazy. So, and when I called my mom to tell my mom after like two weeks of preseason with them, she 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 told me she's like, 
oh, can you get me Harrison Alfred's jersey? And I'm like, um, <laughs> what about me? You know, I to you. Got but, my own jersey. You know, um, but it was, that's how crazy it was, you know. Um, that's how crazy it was to to be able to feel like, you know, you were there. But at the end of the day, as time goes on, you know, you got to forget about that and say, okay, you know, you this is a job and, you you know, you're competing, you know, with these guys and you got to forget about the name. You made it. Yes, you made it there and, you know, they're big timers, but you got to be able to work hard and take your job from them. But so, you also um, made it there, right? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so um, a bunch of the guys actually were very, very, like, you know, welcoming to me, Jossie Zardes or Patrick mm-hmm. Mullins, um, you know, Harrison Afo, Mohamed Abu, Jonathan Mensah, Harrison, um, Lalas Abubakar, all those guys were very, very nice to me. They took me under their wing, you know, trained with me, like personal training and taught me, like, you know, the little things that I was missing about my game that I could improve as a young player. And there's always, no matter what player you are, there's always room that you can improve and things that you can work on. So they all helped me a lot. And they, they up to now, they continue to help me with, to build on my game and um, and get to the next level. So, uh, Speaking of, you know, just kind of being surrounded by all those guys and, and even opening your mm-hmm. game a little bit, what, what kind of was the biggest surprise or maybe the biggest adjustment uh, that, that you discovered or, or, you know, had to learn when you, when you got to the yeah. MLS? Um, I think for me, when I was in college, or uh, when I when I was in college and I watched MLS, you know, I was always like, you know what? It actually doesn't look hard, you know. <laughs> and I'm like, eh, I think I can play. I mean, for the first day in high school, I get to high school and uh, my coach Rick with uh, Rick Williams, uh, Mick Williams, he goes and he's like, I think this kid can play in the in the MLS right now, you know. Um, first day of high school right. and. You know, I think, you know, that's just something you were saying. But I think that's the perception that people take, you know, when yeah. they watch, like, oh, when you're not in it, you just think, no, it's actually not that hard. But I think it's, no, the guys, those guys are very, very good players. <laughs> like, you Mc, know. McWillie's really, got a good eye. He was my advisor. Yeah. <laughs> really, really good players. And I think, you know, um, I think first week of training, I was like, holy, holy cow. Like a little harder. Than these I guys are good. You know, it's a little harder than I thought. You know, and for me, you know, I was like always the the guy who's you know I was a bit small. You know, yeah. and um, I can always get around people and use my speed. But it was very physical and it's something that I had to like you know um, work on with me, which is like you know keep like trying to like have um, gain more center gravity, which is like something that I use for my advantage because I'm very close to the ground. So it's kind of like hard for to to get the ball from me or lose the ball um so and then some of the things that i had to work on was like you know technically being aware of you know my position like learning and starting to like think before i get the ball rather than you know in college like you play and sometimes you're probably thinking about oh my god i have to submit this history paper or like (laughs) you know i have to go to this class tomorrow and i don't want to go but you know in the professional level you get there and you have to lock in you can't think of anything else you know and the example is like when we played, you know, Atlanta and they had like almost 75,000 people and they started me in that game, my first start as a pro. And it was, it was unbelievable. You know, it was, it was crazy. And in the, in the warm up, you know, I'm looking around, I'm like, oh my God, there's so many people. It's like <laughs> the, the, the most I've played, you know, there may be college, like 5,000, 7,000 people. And you're playing against, uh, you know, playing uh, 72,000 people. And, you know, I think... 
I'm freaking out. I'm like, this is this is not happening, you know. But then, you know, as the game, you know, started, you get you just got to lock in and you have to like, you know, um, take your mind off the crowd and you know, pitch black and and just play your game. And I think um, those guys were able to like help me a lot with you know adjusting to the league. And I'm still learning. There's a, there's a, a lot of things that I still need to like, you know, adjust to my game and learn about it. And um, um, I'm still working on it and um, to get to to try and get uh, get to that where I need to be. So yeah, well, um, nothing, nothing beats experience. That's for sure. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, well, I guess part of being a pro is you know taking not only on the field but everything off the field too. And mm-hmm. uh, a, a big thing for any athlete is you know what what are you doing outside of your your sport. And yeah. I can see now you're wearing your, your Be Happy shirt um, to, to promote the brand. And so yeah. why don't you tell us a little bit about your, your clothing brand here and, and sort of where it started and how it's taken off. Yeah. So um, I think the the whole thing started, the whole Be Happy thing started. Um, I'm a very, very positive person. I think, Ooh. you know, I learned that from my mom, you know, being a single parent and raising, you know, nine kids um, by herself. Um, she's one of the... I don't know, like, she's very positive. She's always, like, tried to, she always find a way to make things, everything, like, positive. And I'm like, how do you do it, you know? <laughs> and we are very, like, you know, my mom is a very religious person, and she's always like, you know what? No matter what we're going through, someone else is going through worse. So I always question, like, you know, she does all these things right, and but then why are we still poor, you know? And I remember when I went to Right to Dream, and I was telling her that I didn't want to be at Right to Dream because... You know, they right to dream had more of a structured life, and I wasn't used to it. I was a kid who gets up. You know, I get up early in the morning. I run like, you know, um, five a.m. Like sometimes three a.m. and try to run away from the house just so my mom wouldn't send me to farm to go to the farm with her. You know, so I kind of was controlled my own destiny, and I'll go, you know, play soccer, gamble with like, you know, bet on soccer, and you know. Um, and go to places that I shouldn't have been because of, you know, I had to, like, find food to eat by myself, you know, because if you leave the house, then you're not eating. She's not going to give you money that, okay, hey, 3 a.m., this is your money. You leave the house and come back at, like, 6 p.m. in the morning, uh, in the night. Um, so from there, you know, she said to me that, you know, regardless of what you're going through, I write to dream, whether it's tough or whatever, you know, Think of a way of putting everyone's problem in a bowl and shuffling it to take one out. And she's like, you will be in tears of like, you know, like what you're going through. You'll be in tears of what else someone else is going through. Um, so I think when I was at Maybrook, I gave a chapel talk and I said, you know, regardless of what has, what has happened to you in the past or what you've done in the past, don't ever regret the past. Use the past to like, you know, motivate yourself and say, okay, I'm glad and I'm very like, you know, um, happy that this thing happened to me or I did this in the past because I'm going to look back to it and grow from it. And I think, you know, I learned that. And um, when I was in college, you know, I, when I was in high school, every time I posted something, I did the hashtag be happy. And one of my friends, you know, my best friend who is like in charge of the whole be happy thing now, she, her name is Caroline Biando and she does a great job for for the for the the product for the brand um i'm just the face but she does all the <laughs> the behind the scenes stuff um so she actually like 
talk to me about why don't you you know create a brand and but you know when you're in college you can't really do that because of NCAA you can't have a clothing brand um so right when I signed she brought the whole idea of us like you know and I've had I have a, a charity that I work with and you know I help back home in in my hometown uh, a bunch of orphanage uh, kids that I help with um the age of from the age of seven to thirteen um and I've been helping them since I was in high school um Sometimes, you know, I'll do dishwashing and kids will pay me or do one-on-one training with, um, with kids back in, in, um, in high school and then I'll get, get a lot of money and I'll send it back home to Ghana to, to help with those kids. So um, I did that until um, I was able to, like, go, you know, go to college where I made a little bit of money and, like, help those kids. And, and I said to myself, you know what? I was one of those kids, so if you, they they can have me and be like the person I am today, I think there's a bunch of kids there who can be better, and who would probably like you know, um, all they need is help, you know, they need they need someone to kind of show them the direction and give them the opportunity. So, you know, I talked to her and we said um, we're gonna like start the clothing brand and um, every money that every profit that we make, I'll match it and. Send the the money back home to the kids, buy books, some um, clothes and food for them. And um, the first three months when we started, amazing! Like everyone showed, you know, great um, response to it. And um, you know, Columbus fans have been amazing. You know, they've been a very essential part of it. Which is like, you know, they've taken that hashtag, they've taken my brand and really like, you know, promoted and supported me a lot. And it's funny because. Um, during the um, MLS season last year, my first game that I came in was, I think, I believe, Orlando City. So I came in the game, and we were down, like, 2-1. Um, I believe, yeah, 2-1. And I came in, and um, the game was tough. You know, it was a tough game. And there was a fight that actually broke up the the end of the game, which, which we were winning. So we were winning. We came back from behind to win 3-2. And um, I was able to contribute into, like, you know, um, the, the team in, like, coming back. Um and there was a fight that broke down. And when you think about it, you know, everyone will look at the kid who, who, like, I've been, you know, fighting my whole life, you know, to create opportunity, to get opportunity. And, you know, I went, I walked, I walked to the where, you know, everyone was shoveling and pushing each other. And I'm like one of the smallest guys on the field, probably the smallest. So um, I went and I grabbed the ball, you know, and I, I thought about it, you know, there's kids and there's families who are in the stadium and, you know, I, they don't want to see it. That's not what we need to show them, you know. They, we need to, you know, give them for them to see. This is, you know, it's not it's not a sport, good sportsmanship. So I picked up the soccer ball and I started balancing on my head, not <laughs> thinking about anything, you know. And it blew up. It was crazy. It blew up. I went to, you know, at the end of the game, like, you know, the fans recorded it and they were like, it went crazy about it. And I didn't think it was because of what I was doing. I thought it was a fight that was going on. You know, um, and then I went on social media and, you know, everyone, they created a be happy challenge and everyone is balancing things. And it was crazy. I I woke up and I'm like, this is amazing. This is crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, so the little thing that you can do can create this, you know, um, this image and um, everyone, you know, you can you can bring so much like so much smile to to people's face. You know? um, so since then, I've been very passionate about the, the, the brand and um um, Caroline has been very big um, part of it, and she she she's doing all the behind the scene work to to raise money and send it to to Ghana to to help the the uh, the poor ones and the less fortunate people, like I say. So well, Eddie, awesome. I can 
I can absolutely promise you that uh, from here on out, after your story and and this interview, we will be promoting the Be Happy. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you. Honestly, absolutely, I mean, you. Uh, you know, it's it's truly inspiring. I think you know, uh, to much a greater extent, what you are doing. Yeah. You know, we. Uh, are trying to do which is is build a brand and you know how hard it is um and you've been extremely successful in doing so um so you know we we admire you you for that thank you um thank you now i do want to ask you we have to address the elephant in the room i believe yeah i believe you are (laughs) eligible to play uh for both ghana uh and the u.s national team so Mm -hmm. i gotta ask you what do you think? <laughs> I think I think it will be it will be you know a quick decision. I think my mom will probably kill me <laughs> in any other country rather than Ghana. Um, so uh, I think I think we'll go Absolutely. with Ghana. And, you know, it's been a country that it's been something that you know every kid it's wants dream. to play for the national team. And um, you know, I will keep working hard, and I know I have a lot of ways, uh, long ways to go. Um, but I'll keep working until I make that happen. So uh, definitely, absolutely, we'll, we'll, we'll choose Ghana. So yeah, sure. awesome, man. Can't, can't hate well, that decision. Yeah, well, honestly, <laughs> honestly, now it's going to make it more difficult to, to decide who I'm cheering for. You know what I mean? <laughs> hey, we can, we, can, we can work on it. We yeah, can compromise. We'll, we'll, yeah. we'll figure it out. Um, well, we've, got, we've just got a couple last questions here for you. Um, super easy stuff. Just kind of a little bit more about you and – um, you know, off the field. So uh, I'll kick it over to Brent to, to start us off yeah. here. Um, well, I would ask if you watch Game of Thrones, maybe maybe that'll be part part B, but what's what's your favorite TV show currently if it's not Game of Thrones? So I think it used to be The Walking Dead, right? You know, okay. I was never into like, but I think ever since, so, you know, I started watching Game of Thrones two weeks ago. But everyone's bug everyone's bugging me to watch Game of Thrones and I'm like, Oh my god. And finally I gave into it and you know, shockingly I was able to catch up in two weeks. Oh no. Starting way. from season one. Which is like I that's that's how I, I had no like I've told all my friends, like, don't text me, like I don't wanna go anywhere after practice. I just wanna, you know, hang my legs up and watch Game of Thrones. So I was I was able to like you know watch the whole season and and caught up and so I'm I'm actually all caught up and I almost made a mistake yesterday which I was I was very unhappy with how things went and <laughs> something on my social media where I had to take it down yeah so, yeah um, well, yeah I gotta I gotta say uh, watching the entirety of Game of Thrones in under two weeks is almost yeah. as impressive as your your story to be honest. <laughs> no, no kidding. It's more like crazy, yeah. So it was, uh, it was, it was when we were traveling to games. I had my my phone, my laptop, my iPad, and I'm always like, you know, people are always like, Eddie, like, what are you doing? I was like, yeah, don't disturb that. You know, I'm watching Game of Thrones. So I need to, I need to know what's happening and stuff. So it was, it was good because you couldn't go on social media with that, you know, right, having yeah. to no. get caught up. Everyone is like writing about it, so. Um, but it was it was it uh, yeah it's it's been it's been a show that I've been I've been very very um into and um spend a lot of time on so nice yeah. guys so, you guys got some questions yeah i have, i have a question in terms of um <laughs> other than soccer and game of thrones like what what else do you yeah. do in your free time like a, a hobby that so, some people might not know if you have any <laughs> yeah so um when i was in columbus i would go to um elementary i love kids you know i've always because you know i never had like someone spend more time with me when i was a kid and i and i, and I would have killed for that you know um i think it's um 
as a professional athlete, you know, there's so much, you know, your voice can do or like even the lot of time that, you know, you show to the community. Um, and I'm very um, community type of person. Uh, you know, I want to, I want to, um, I don't want to do it because, you know, it's like, but I want to do it because I know how it feels. You know, if when I was a kid, like, you know, a professional soccer player, you know, even say hi to me or even come to our school or things like that, I know how much it would have meant to me. So I've been very into to spending time in the community and Columbus has been, you know, a place that, you know, even when I was in Charlottesville, Virginia, I spent a lot of time with kids and, you know, I was able to go to the the schools like spend some time there because I was a, a bit of a figure there and a lot of kids they come to, come to the game and you know they they enjoy watching me and um, I put a smile on my face and I okay. always know that you know I could connect with the kids so in Columbus I you know I became very close with this group called the Hive now they call them and there's a girl called um, Kennedy who I became very very close with um, when I first got drafted and um, more like we're best friends now and they they have a group and I think. Every game that they go, they have a, a big head of me, and even when I'm, even mm-hmm. if I'm not playing, they still have it, and they they have. We love you, Eddie, and um, I've been able to build a very good relationship with them. But since I came here, you know, in Birmingham, they, you know, I I'm a new to, I'm still new here, and I've been very uh, much into writing um, and reading a lot, and um, just kind of writing my story down. And um, I think it's also a good way to 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 clear your mind and. I think, you know, I think it was uh, three days ago was the first time, you know, I kind of like admitted to myself that I had to be open up because um, as much as positive as I am, I, th- I don't think like, you know, other people know the things that, you know, sometimes, you know, th- players go through you know, personally, you know, my mom struggled with a half stroke and she's been, you know, here and there, like going to the hospital back and forth, like for a long time. It's been like five years, and you know now she's receiving a better care because I'm providing for her, and you know I'm making sure she's getting the best treatment. She's you know she's eating the f- best food. She's she has the best environment to be, um, and you know. But I struggle with I struggle with a little bit of um, depression last year with the, over the last like you know. Um, eight months and I don't think anyone kind of knew because you know Eddie is always smiling or always happy you know yeah. um, but it was tough because you know having my mom go through that and me feeling that you know I, I can't be there to support her and so it was tough it was tough and um, I was able to like see a counselor and kind of like talk through it because you know, being a professional athlete, too, you feel like you work so hard, you know, and sometimes you're not getting seen or, you know, you're not getting. But again, it goes back to, you know, um, my my phrase, which is like, no matter what you're going on, someone else is going through worse. And you can't really like let that drag you down. All you got to do is just be positive and, you know, grow uh, p- positive mental attitude, which is like when you think about everything as being positive, I think things will, t- things will turn out to be to be good for you. So. Um, I've been reading and writing a lot, like writing my story down and um, being um, just, I'm a very laid back person. So um, other than that, um, just talking to my family and making sure that, you know, everyone else is good and, and, and yeah, so that's, that's pretty much it. Yeah. All right. Well, man, that's... we'll, we'll obviously make sure to, uh, to continue to keep your mom in, in our thoughts and prayers, man. And Thank you. It's awesome that you're, uh, you're in a position now, obviously, ha- with all your hard work to, to be able to yeah. support, uh, you know, her mm-hmm. better. So that's that's yeah. really awesome. Um, well, listen, Eddie, you know, this was truly an honor. Um, I think it's put 
a lot of things in perspective for, for all of us. Um, you know, not to, to take into account all the small petty stuff, um, you know, that there's, there's a bigger picture. So, uh, you know, that we all will, will continue to promote the be happy brand. And, uh, you you know, honestly, you know, thank you so much for coming on. We can't thank you. Of course. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it a lot. And, uh, I'm thankful to, to be, to be able to like talk to you guys and have me on, uh, on the podcast. So thank you. Thank you to you guys. Excellent. Thanks, Eddie. We sure do all. We'll be sure to keep following you as you make your way back to Columbus this uh, this season. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Thank absolutely. You. Yeah. So, um, you know, take care of yourself. We'll be in touch. Um, you know, we'll make sure to uh, to promote this episode and and get it out there so that people can hear your story more. So, um, thank you. And you know, make sure to uh, make sure to follow and listen so that you can hear yourself. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, I would do. I would do. Okay. Thank you. All right, Eddie. Thank you. So thank much, you. Man. See you, man. Thank you. Thank you so much. That that honestly, truly put a lot into perspective for us. Uh, we we're excited to have you on. And uh, let's wrap things up here, close it out with some banner and buzzer beaters. So, gentlemen, let's get into the nitty-gritty of it. First thing I want to kick off with, something that's grinding my gears. I've been thinking about it a lot recently. Um, all of us are, are fans of Chick-fil-A, yes? <laughs> Duh. Duh, stupid question. It's 2019. Um, I got a little bit of beef. Um, these hot bags. It, it's like a goddamn damp cave uh, when you open that bishop. Uh, I don't know how they haven't corrected this anarchy, uh, but it needs to stop now. It, it's it's enough that they're closed on Sundays, but to uh, to be giving me a soggy ass chicken sandwich, I'm putting my foot down. I got two things. One, you're right. You're you are a little bit right. Um, where I went to high school, I'm since I'm poor and I went to public school, uh, the big 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 thing in high school was every Thursday we'd have Chick Fil A sandwiches um, delivered. Um, they don't deliver. You got to eat them right there. Take sorry, they, they they'd seconds. be like sitting in a cooler at like the the lunch line checkout, and you'd be like, "Yeah, I want a Chick Fil A sandwich today. Here's my five bucks or whatever." No, I'm and saying they, they don't deliver well. They, exactly, they'd always be in those little bags, and I'm like. Shh, Every single Thursday, it's like, why is my sandwich? <laughs> Take them out of damp, the bag. You know? Do something. Put this thing on a hot plate. I don't. I don't know what. But number two would just be that's at this point in my life, man. I just go with the nuggets. Like, yeah, if, I, I'm. I'm on now. I, they, I, they they travel so much real. easier. Unless yep. I'm eating on site, you got to go with the nuggets. I gave it one last attempt, and I got home, and I just said to myself, you know what? You're a stupid idiot. <laughs> uh, because it's just eat it there. It's better there. Come on. Just throw a little sauce on there. You're good to go. Um, all right. Next up, our guy Kawhi. Um, only thing to really talk about in the NBA. We don't want to spread ourselves thin, uh, but this guy threw down the only NBA uh, playoff buzzer beater dagger in history. Um, last game in a, seven. In a game Sorry, seven. I have to clarify. Dude, he carried the he carried the entire team uh, on absolutely. his back, man. What did he drop? What did he finish with? Thirty eight, something like that. Uh, yeah, that was one of the, that was one of the sicker shots I've ever seen. And and some people were calling it luck. Call it what you want, you know. That's just Credit that's just a game right to, there. Um, it was incredibly good defense by Embiid. If I'm being honest, um, basically, you know, he he came out. Um, Kawhi caught the ball and was pretty much running his entire, you know, like around the top of the key. Was running towards the baseline. He got picked up by Embiid, and Embiid moved side to side like extremely well to pick up someone like Kawhi Leonard. 
got a hand up, was with him pretty much the whole shot, and you know it just big time players make big time plays, and that's exactly what, big time. what we saw. I uh, I will say if we're giving credit where credit is due, we have to credit Drizzy Drake. If you guys didn't catch this, Drake wore a 76ers outfit or like shorts or something because he knows that he curses the teams that he pulls for. And no he put way. up he put up a video of Instagram on Instagram of him wearing his 76ers shorts and and lo and behold the curse stayed true and his Raptors won. So I, uh, I love it and I hate it for a couple reasons. One because it's just going to make him more money like he's basically now trolling himself and making money off of it um i mean if that's not the american dream then (laughs) i mean i don't know what it is i I guess so (laughs) but you know true good point well um let's go ahead and kick it over to you nerds for a little game of thrones discussion but before i'd like to highlight two things one the internet literally broke last week uh and lost their minds when uh there was a coffee cup left in the scene this week, fast forward, these MFers still getting lazy, uh, and Jamie Lannister apparently grew his hand back uh, in one of the scenes. I've highlighted it here uh, for you guys to see. Um, so, thought that was interesting. It's, uh... I I heard that that picture is fake. Oh, really? And I don't really. I first of all, I I'm I'm sick and tired of these people just poking holes in the show. I'm sure everyone's like, oh, this season sucks. Whatever. Yeah, stop looking just take it so for what closely, it is. dude. Yeah, just, I'm not just looking. enjoy <laughs> the whole world. Enjoy th- I know you're not. It's these people on Twitter and, and these internet trolls. Just enjoy the the entertainment for what it is. Don't think too deeply into it. They're they're fast forwarding this entire storyline. It's like it's like putting a, a book on tape at like times three, where it just like you know you can barely hear what the guy's saying in terms of the storyline and everything. So yeah. they're just like fast forwarding it because they're just trying to wrap up. the whole thing up. But I've heard I heard this the picture of of Jamie with a real hand. Uh, where his gold hand used to be is a fake picture. That's just what I saw, I and that's it. what I heard. Um, With all the internet trolls. But to play yeah, devil's like people... advocate, you go to see a movie, and Brent highlighted this when we were talking about the Avengers a couple weeks back. You go to see a movie to see how it happened, like how they created how they put it together, all the intricate details. You don't go to a movie to see how it ends or, or what the outcome is. Like That's basically having intercourse to finish not because it feels good <laughs> you know what i mean and he said Fair it enough. perfectly so like i i agree with you i agree with you that you know it's ridiculous that people are getting caught up on it but for such a massive budget and such crazy detail and and this could be fake um but even last week's a- a- episode you know where i know it would cost a lot of money to get rid of it but dude the coffee cup and now this it's like Come on. Get your shit together. Someone's smoking a little weed on set. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, somebody's yeah. just not put, pulled together. Obviously. Um, um, but, yeah. Did you, you, what'd you say? Did you already mention the Aaron Rodgers thing? No, I was going to let one of you guys talk about that. I didn't um, see it. So, By the way, this is, this is the second big cameo. Um, well, at least the second big cameo so far of this season. <laughs> Gardner, you'd be interested to know that Mac from Always Sunny was also in an episode earlier this year. He was. Oh, no shit. Yeah, he took an arrow to the eye. That's incredible. <laughs> I, I did throw a picture of uh, Aaron in here because I don't know if it was like the makeup, but the dude looks bad. Yeah, he looks I, like I think that's goes, the point. I, when, you're, when you're getting assaulted by the biggest dragon the world has ever seen, I, I think you're supposed to look a little banged up on set. Yeah, I guess so. He just looks sunken and tired. 
He looks not. You see, so in his in his scene, so you see him on the front lines, um, like inside of King's Landing. But his scene was the dragons coming down like this this you know little alleyway, whatever, and just lights the entire thing up. And he's the one guy who like bangs a left to try to escape it, and the fire just like follows him through this like tunnel. And and that was it. And Rose, Rose. Aaron Rodgers' cinematic career, <laughs> yeah, just got completely incinerated. I love your next question, by the way. Um, well, I, do you guys wanted to talk a little bit about the episode, or are you good on that? Um, all, all I'll say is like, if you, you did, Tom, you were disappointed. I I was earlier, but not. You know, it, it is a little nitpicky. But like, what kind of pissed me off at the end was like, the whole city is in shambles and then there's this fucking horse for Arya to just get up and get the fuck out on like oh tom tom you're better than this buddy i know it, it was just if like if you don't think that that's if you don't think that that's brand controlling the horse and giving arya a way out of the city then you're then you're missing something ooh well, i mean that obviously yeah it was i did a little more thinking on it and it was just so blatant and i was i i said to myself like those the show writers can't be this bad right like it has to be some sort of uh, yeah, some some sort of trickery, I guess. Who knows? I, I'm I'm just hoping. There's some there's some biblical um, comparisons that have been going on. I've, I've been doing my research. Obviously, nice. uh, some b- biblical comparisons about uh, it, it's in like Revelations. I'm not too big into religion, <laughs> yeah. Tell but, us about yeah. your Bible knowledge here. <laughs> yeah, lay it on. Yeah, us. Uh, it has to do with uh, re- uh, Revelations eight eight, and uh, it has what to do verse? with the pale horse appearing, and then and then the rider of death. It has to do with the rider of death, essentially, and so that's what Arya is, is the rider okay, of death. Rider in the storm? <laughs> yeah, riders on the storm for but sure. A- aside from that, uh, a great episode. If you didn't think Daenerys was going to go batshit crazy, uh, I don't know what you were expecting. Uh, I thought the Lannister death was very well-fitting, where you know Jaime and Cersei had literally their whole kingdom fall down on them. I thought that was very symbolic. Of their storyline, it seems pretty uh, pretty fact that Jon Snow will be sitting on the Iron Throne. Uh, I disagree. Well, I think it's going to be Sansa. Yeah, that's a that's a good call. But I think Aaron there's Rogers. something more to the. I think there's something more. So like you hear the bells go off, and, and which means that they're surrendering, right? But you know, from Daenerys' point of view, you know, her family built King's Landing like 300 years ago, and you know the you know robert's rebellion robert baratheon's rebellion is the reason why she was exiled for her entire life uh, and pretty much had to like hide from everyone and, and was on the run and you know that's what led to her you know to the dothraki and being the wife of Khal drogo and all that shit um and i think for her it was kind of like she was you know she had so much hatred towards what that city represented to her that she was like fuck it i'm just gonna burn this entire thing down well it also you know she'd had all she'd had left at this point to keep her from doing that was like the people around her that she trusted that were making her a better leader and person and also the you know the one person the two people really that she'd ever loved which were Jorah and Jon Snow and you know I think the the straw that broke the camel's back in this episode was Jon Snow you know kind of pulling away from her when when she was making one last attempt for them to kind of be in love but you know uh Melisande whatever her name is um she obviously just had her head chopped off right in fucking front of her um she's been betrayed uh you know by Tyrion now a few times um he was someone that she trusted a lot like i said jorah died 
Uh, she lost someone that she loved, and then obviously kind of Jon Snow, she felt like betrayed her. So I think all all kind of the pillars around her, like holding her up and making her not lose her shit much sooner, you know, they all finally fell. Mm-hmm. Um, the last one being Jon Snow here. And then she she had no reason not to go batshit crazy, you know, coupled with, with everything going on with the Lannisters and, and her history. Yeah, you know, it was, it was all just um, building up to this point. And, you know, we clearly saw in the middle of the episode kind of everyone at once realized that that now they're fighting for just yet another shitty, you know, crazy, uh, power-hungry monarch. And it, that that really all came to a head pretty quickly, in my opinion, you know, just kind of built yeah. up to that who, uh, within uh, the last episode or two. Who, who do you guys see, and, and we'll move on from this, um, who do you guys see as the next main character to go, to get offed? The the uh, obvious her. pick would be Daenerys. Yeah, same. Yeah, I think uh, I think I think, Ar- I think Arya is gonna. No, well, Tyrion's definitely he's he's gonna get he's fucked. dead. Is dead. Yeah, yeah. He's dead, he's dead. But I think Daenerys. Uh, I think Arya is probably gonna attempt to kill her or something. Kill them all. Lines, but man, I- I'm sorry. I just wish John was a stronger man and would just sack up. Well, literally. Um, speaking of sacking up, wed, bed, or dead. Or uh, the less PC version, Mary Fuck Hill, Seinfeld, Kramer, Costanza. I was given this a uh, little bit of thought earlier. I'm going to go with. Um, I'm going to go with uh, Mary, Kramer, Fuck Costanza, Kill Seinfeld. Woof, dude! If you're not marrying Seinfeld, the dude's worth like fucking. Two billion dollars. Yeah, we're we're talking money aside. Char- <laughs> characters on the television show. You marry who? I think I'm. Sl- I yeah. think I'm sleeping with Kramer. I see. I thought about that because you know he's he's kind of the one who just like weirdly gets girl. You know he's kind of the sexual being in the show. Uh, his character is, but at the same time, like that would have forced me to marry Costanza, and all he does is complain and fucking whine. You know. It's like, <laughs> I'm probably just gonna have to. True. Fight. That's why. That's why I'd kill him. I'm yeah. probably just gonna. But I'm gonna I'd, have to off him. As far as the quality of the character goes, Costanza is ten times the character of Seinfeld. So that's why I decided to kill Seinfeld. Yeah, I think I'll oh, bite the fair. bullet and marry Seinfeld, sleep with Kramer, and kill Costanza. Well, too uh, pragmatic. I Tom? I am in the subpopulation <laughs> of people who have never watched Seinfeld. Kill yourself. So, so uh, we can just go <laughs> ahead and move on. All right. Well, we'll move on. Um. This is something that I was I brought up last week or two weeks ago, but we didn't get to it. We're going to throw it out to you, the public. Um, but the best of Seth. Uh, we've got Pineapple Express, Superbad, Knocked Up, This is the End, Sausage Party, The Interview. We're going to throw it out to you guys, see what you guys think. We're going to get down to one. One will be the winner. That will determine the best of Seth. Um, in my opinion... Uh, if you don't Express. pick Pineapple Express, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, mean, I was going to say the same thing. Yeah, All right, I'm, well, I, I'll go against the grain here. I to this day, I will watch Superbad every day, yeah, any time of the day. Like that's and knocked up too. for that matter. I think Superbad is one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. Top easily top. Three. It's pretty incredible. It's pretty incredible. And I know he doesn't uh, they, pay. They went play. on quite a run there. Those those boys went on quite a run with Judd Apatow. You know, yeah. there in the in the late thousands. Well, on the uh, topic of uh, entertainment, before we close things out here tonight, I do want you all to go and check out, if you have the time, Chernobyl, a new documentary on HBO. 
crazy stuff. Um, Russia is a wild place. Um, you know, this story really deep dives into all the crazy stuff that went on uh, and the lasting effects. You know, it's, I think, about 50,000 years until the thing's fertile. So that's good. I have a question. Yeah. Uh, quick question because I got into a big argument uh, the other week about this. Uh, so you guys know what a, a biopic is or a biopic? Mm-hmm. It, it, that's what Chernobyl is. It's it's a it's a uh, uh, redone story. It's a, it's just a played out story by actors yep. of of true events. Yep. Um, how do you guys pronounce it? Is it biopic or biopic? Um, we, we we can go with both. Okay, Tom. <laughs> I mean, I, very middle ground of you. I mean, honestly, I I've I've heard both, so I couldn't tell you. I've ne- I got into like a full full out. What do you say? Argument about this? I say biopic. I feel like that would be the right terminology or, or the right yeah, pronunciation. Bi- yeah, that's what I thought. But Bi- apparently, apparently, there's a, apparently there's two different crowds to this to this whole thing. But I, I don't know. I, will I got say, into a big argument. It is funny on that note because it's actors, you know, portraying, you know, a story that already occurred. Um, dude, the, the fucking casting, like, C-minus. You know, the whole story is great. The acting's good, but... I get it because of the having to do translating subtitles, but they're all like English actors and they all are doing English accents and you're in, yeah. it's in Russia. They didn't, even, they didn't even make an attempt. <laughs> yeah, they didn't even make an attempt to like get Russian people who who speak English and has have thick Russian accents. Yeah, all the deformed they just were like, all right, we're gonna go to we're gonna go show. to England. Yeah, those are all the Russians. I was gonna say you're you're it telling is. me that there's nobody from the actual event. Then I don't want to see it. No, I, I don't no, believe yeah. it. <laughs> Everyone's dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, they're gone, Tom. They're gone. Yeah, classic, hilarious, just, Tom. Just, yeah. just, just a joke. <laughs> um, yeah, but but it is really interesting. So uh, go check it out. Um, all right, well, let's close things out here with some buzzer beaters. Uh, Harrison, we'll have you close us out here. Yeah, um, big weekend for for the English Premier League. The citizens of Manchester uh, defended the throne and and won their. Uh, and repeated as champions of the Premier League after beating Brighton, Hove, Hove and Albion four to one. They went down one nothing early in the game, which which gave uh, myself and I'm sure a lot of other people a big scare um, because all they had to do was win this game to uh, to to win the championship, and uh, they were able to pretty much just dismantle Brighton uh, in the second half. Uh, ended up winning four one, as I said. Um, and beat out Liverpool 98 points to 97. This was a Liverpool team that on, only lost one game all season, and still wasn't wasn't good enough to uh, to dethrone the the, the citizens. So uh, that was a, a big thing for me. And uh, you know now the the next big game, and as I said in that post, is um, Champions League final on June 1st, which is going to be Man- or Liverpool versus Tottenham in Madrid. Tottenham, Tottenham, Thomas. Yeah, so uh, PGA Championship coming up this weekend at Beth Page Black in New York. Uh, one of the toughest courses in all of golf. So definitely tune in for that. And I know we took some slack of not you know, calling our shots and predicting the winner. So I'm giving you Brooks Kepka right now. Uh, he finished, I think, second in the Masters. He was mm-hmm. like 20 under this past weekend um, at the Byron Nelson Tournament. Just playing great golf, and he's due. I mean, the dude is due for another dub. Somebody just it's, pulled. I think it's coming this weekend. Somebody just pulled from the tournament. Yeah, Justin Thomas just pulled out. That's who it was. 
Good. Good. Fuck Justin Thomas. Good riddance. <laughs> um, well, that's that's good positivity there. Um, as always, thank you all for joining us here tonight in the studio uh, at End of Regulation for episode 17. It was an absolute pleasure and honor, Eddie. We appreciate it. We hope you all enjoyed while we entertained and educated. Please remember to check us out on Twitter and Instagram. I'm no longer giving Facebook shout-outs. They're dead to me. Uh, additionally, please make sure to subscribe to iTunes and Spotify. Uh, we've got weekly episodes that we're releasing for you all, um, so do not miss out. Lastly, for the kids. Yeah, for the kids. Lastly, we're going to turn it over to Brent to close us out with some music history, baby. Uh, this is a pretty obscure one. Uh, yeah, thanks again, Eddie, by the way. Uh, but uh, on this day in 2012, Donald Dunn, uh, one of my favorite rock and roll bassists of all time, he was famous for his work with uh, Booker T and the MGs. He passed away, so here we got Green Onions uh, by Booker T. Peace. Later. Yeah. Later. Later.